Hello, and welcome to Head and Heart, a Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. My name is Katie, and I'm here with my best friend and co-host, Frankie. Hey, guys. It is so good to be back, guys. I'm home on spring break. It feels so good, and Frankie's doing better finally after COVID, so things are looking up. <laughs> um, knock on wood. Knock on wood, yes. I think we both have wood right in front of us, so yeah. knock on wood. I have my... my desk which is actually a family heirloom uh i'm at a table (laughs) so today's episode fair warning we will put potential trigger warnings in the episode description because we are going to be talking about trauma all the trauma Mm -hmm. that these kids have gone through each individual character's traumas and we don't know exactly where this is going to take us so if anything gets heavy if anything gets serious We just want to have that proper warning. So make sure to check the episode description right now if you didn't notice it. If you have any topics or areas of discussion that could potentially be harmful to you. And yeah, yeah, um, bit of a bit of a dark one, bit of a heavy one. But I think it's important. Well, this is a dark series, so yeah, this is a dark series, especially for middle grade. And I think we can start off talking about that. Do you want to elaborate on that, Frankie? Uh, yeah. So I think in general, middle grade authors try to keep a good balance between showing conflict and trauma without going too dark as a middle grade series. Like, if you compare Percy Jackson to this, it's the writing is different in that way. Like the trauma Percy goes through is not as intense or graphic as it is in Keeper of the Lost Cities. Uh, The only, before this, the only real middle grade series that I had seen that had trauma handled in the way it is like Keeper in the Lost Cities was Gregor the Overlander. That Mm. book can be very dark. Um, This is where the trigger warnings come into play. In Gregor, there is a literal gas chamber. <laughs> uh, so that it gets dark. And that's what I felt reading Keepers for the first time. I was like, this has, this is going to be a dark series in that way where it really goes in depth on all the torture and the pain that these children go through. And it's a little bit jarring if you're not used to it because you don't expect it going into a yeah. middle grade series. Yeah, I... I do not remember a whole lot about Gregor, to be perfectly honest. I read it in such a blur. I desperately want to reread it, but I distinctly remember the gas chamber. And I will say that Frankie is bringing that up as a not religiously, but culturally and ethnically Jewish person. Yes, Um, I am. My father's um, family and my father are Jewish. So there's some impact there with me personally. Yes, absolutely. In terms of your family history. So I just Mm -hmm. I wanted that to be clear to the listeners, like the fact that you specifically brought that up and that's had an impact on you. Um, Yeah, my my own family history uh, to get into it a little bit. um, I am not ethnically, culturally or religiously Jewish because it is both, you know, an ethnic group and a religion. Um, Yes, I am not. I am, however, Italian Sicilian. I, you wouldn't guess mm-hmm. it by looking at me. And my family <laughs> did come here. I'm only a third-gen immigrant. My family came here fleeing the Nazi regime during World War II. So I have a bit of a secondhand connection 
Yeah. Um, to the Holocaust in my family history in that way, but obviously I was not nearly as impacted. I didn't. I don't have any ancestors or old relatives who were, you know, in concentration camps or mm-hmm. anything horrific like that. This is definitely why we have trigger warnings in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's the context for which we're coming from. Um. Neither of us have, you know, anything to traumatic in our family histories like directly I would say we both have both of our parents still we haven't experienced too much loss um obviously everyone has their things and their family struggles but Mm -hmm. we're not coming from a position of childhood trauma or anything we both grew up pretty well so yeah I would say definitely not childhood abuse um I have uh many of my family members suffer from severe mental illness, uh, including my younger sister. So trauma may be in that way from growing up in that sort of household, but I would say definitely physical abuse, uh, that sort of trauma. Neither Katie or I have any experience with that. And uh, this is where even more trigger warnings come in. My own traumas came later in life that I luckily, you know, lived to see through, through the other side too. But mm-hmm. um, mine came later in high school with um, sexual assault and also suicide attempts. So um, one physical, um, physically mm-hmm. attempting. So not to get serious. Um, we're both <laughs> in a much better place now. Yeah. But that is where we are coming from, from our own histories, which I think is important to lay that foundation. Yeah, so, it's important to note. That we're not being ignorant when we go into these topics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't experienced the flavor of trauma that these characters have, but we definitely, you know, especially, like I said, childhood stuff. I, for yeah. one, was blessed with a very stable and happy childhood. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to establish, like I said. So, yeah, uh, I guess we'll start off with the main character. <laughs> we're starting off with the one who's had the most trauma. <laughs> physical trauma uh, actually no i would say no i was gonna say yeah i was gonna say we should start off with sophie because i would say the most trauma probably goes to keep for even the twins i see i think there's a difference between physical and mental and emotional trauma i think if we're oh, yes, talking absolutely. about physical i would say sophie has definitely gone through the most physical trauma whereas yes keep mm-hmm. or the twins has gone through the most mental uh, and emotional trauma. So I think there are varying degrees <laughs> of trauma. Yes. And each character in this series represents very, has their own unique experience with different kinds of trauma, which I really appreciate. So yeah. Sophie has a lot of physical trauma, especially in regards to her allergic reaction to limbium. Yeah. Or even... um the shadow flux. What is it called? Is it shadow flux that enters? I believe it is called shadow flux. Yeah, that left during the... torture. Yeah, in book seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an awful one. Absolutely, and I think that is, uh, as Keith will put it, a point for Fitz feet here. That is a shared trauma that they do have, and I will mm. give them credit for that. That is something that, they can bond that's over awful. because, yeah, it is awful. Sophie's been through a lot of physical attacks. Not just the physical in that one, in situations like what happened there. She's seeing friends be threatened for her and having them be tortured for her. Dex, in the first book, is tortured for her. 
And so the mental trauma of that mm-hmm. alone is staggering. It's very yeah. much a Harry Potter complex where he gets yeah. tired of all these people dying and being hurt and being put in danger for him. It's the same thing with Sophie. I think it comes with the territory of the Chosen One character arc and character yeah. trope. <laughs> um, but that's definitely present throughout the entire series from book one, like you said, with Dex, who, I mean, we can honestly segue into his trauma next if we want to, because that's something special in a negative way. Usually special has a positive connotation, <sighs> but you know, special in a negative way that they share. Yeah. Now, honestly, There's- there hasn't been a parallel or equivalent to it, that level of torture in the series yet, almost. Her and Dex, I think that's what made it so jarring. Yeah. It didn't take, you can argue Harry Potter, Percy Jackson took at least three books to get into anything that would be like that, remotely dark. For Harry Potter, I would say the fifth book was that turning point, whereas in Keeper of the, the Lost Force, Cities... to be honest, I'd say the fourth, where, spoiler alert, yeah, at the no, end, you're Cedric right. is killed, is the turning point. Even you're in right. Langs, the second the books get longer, they get darker. And in Percy Jackson, it's really the fourth book in the final battle at Camp Half-Blood, where kids die. Yeah, yeah and even how that's written... It was not like this. <laughs> it, Keepers, the first book, I think you're thinking for middle grade, it might get darker, but the first three books are usually safe for that. The first book, by the end, they go darker than Percy and Harry Potter went in their fourth in, in their fourth books, both of them. It's the descriptive, the descriptive way it's done. It is so dark. They are literally describing torture and Sophie's yes. mental state breaking down. By the end of the first book in this middle grade series, I was astounded when I was reading it. I couldn't believe it, that it was going this dark this quickly. Yes, and not only, I think what really gets me is it's not only torture from the bad guys in the first few books, it's the dehumanization and torture from people who are supposed to be on her side in the third book by putting that circlet on her. Enabled oh by my God. Her, one of her best friends. That is oh, that don't. is a combination physical and mental and emotional trauma right there. That oh, moment don't get me started. Me. I just remember Screw that counselor that ordered it. Oh my God! I just remember complete and total rage. I think I put the book down. I think it was one in the morning. Just so y'all know, I'm a night owl. Katie is not. Um, I have severe <laughs> insomnia, so if I, my brain doesn't want to shut down, I can just go. And so that, I think it was like one or two in the morning when I was reading this scene where they put that circlet on her head and Katie was asleep and I knew that and I didn't care. I think I sent three different video messages of me just screeching, ranting, anger, just, she's a child. You're literally sanctioning the torture. A government is sanctioning the torture of a child, basically, in front of the entire class system. (laughs) And what's terrifying about it is you look at our justice system not to be political, and this isn't unprecedented in our own world. Oh, yeah, but it's just, you when you're reading about it, it's different than just a news story that you can maybe ignore if you want to stay ignorant, you know? Like, there's a difference there. It's... I mean, that was the only moment where I got video reactions from Frankie while reading this series for the first time. And I think that's very Uh, telling. 
I also sent a video reaction to you when they were accusing Keith of being um an like a traitor that I also was enraged and sent a video reaction to that but it wasn't like this this oh, you was did? Just, I didn't recall that I this did was just complete that, so I stand corrected but. I did <laughs> but yeah no this was just complete rage and the fact that the trauma that also puts on Dex he doesn't want to use his abilities after this she has to talk him back into it because yeah they made him make a torture device for one of his best friends and he had no say in it nope he had zero say his hands were tied and he had to watch firsthand the implications of what he had done and that is his own i mean that's its own level of torture right there even yeah. without having the circlet on his head that's especially horrific. especially because he's already been tortured with her they both have been tortured together so to watch someone that you went through that with and know that now you're the cause of that suffering is I don't know how he recovered from that. Like, I don't know how these kids recovered from half the things they have to recover from. The mental no, toll that that even, must have taken. Even Fitz, who is arguably the one who has been through the least, his own experience with Shadow Flux and his getting stabbed through the chest in the fourth book. Like, Or even his mental toll of having to watch... Like, having to watch his father shatter and then watching his brother betray them. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Fitz fan, but even I... No, neither There's so I, much sympathy to, to be sympathy had for him, him there. That's awful. Absolutely. It's awful to imagine that. <laughs> like, no... Like, if I had a close family member, first of all, like, let's say my mom's brain shattered. And then let's say Casey went to the dark side because of it. I wouldn't... I don't know if I'd be able to cope. No. Like, these kids have so much being thrown at them constantly. Viana has, you know, both Vacker kids have, well, honestly, I say both, ignoring Alvar, but all three Vacker kids have <laughs> Alvar has some trauma. That I think. Alvar! <laughs> yeah. You think? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and they are the embodiment of privilege. Like, and even then, these kids have dealt with so much. Even the minor characters, even Morella, her trauma of watching her mom be broken and then get an illegal ability that she has to hide. That is traumatic. Or Maruka watching, like, her family members just one by one first die and then Wiley come back as, like be attacked and then watching Wiley's dad come back it's just and when you're talking about Alvar you're talking of a whole different trauma his is a manipulative type like he's been manipulated into yeah. these actions and yes it's it's I don't want to say it's not his fault because at the end of the day he is an adult he did make these decisions but also he it has been manipulated a from a, of understanding though yeah, he has been manipulated since he was little, I believe, into doing these things. Uh, it reminds me I of... I think he very much had other people fulfill his dark destiny for him and write it out for him and guide him down that path. Even... It really... The trauma even goes on to our antagonists and villains. If you think of Brant, if you think of Fenton... They were forced to hide their power until it literally made them go insane, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Brant, I mean, especially, he had to hide it until he. What Brant went through with Jolie and the fact yeah. that they weren't able to be together. 
not being allowed to be with someone who you love. I mean, I can't say from And then accidentally killing I, her? Yeah, I mean, I've yet to find someone who I'm in love with. I've yet to find a partner. But I can imagine that it's its own level of traumatic. Yeah, and coming from someone who has been in a serious relationship at this point in my life, I was with someone for two years. If you have listened to our Avatar uh, Zutara podcast, then he was mentioned a couple times in the beginning. Um, even choosing to break that off, uh, it's it's not easy. Even the choice, when you choose to split up, it still is really, it takes a while for that to heal. And so I can't imagine having someone I love and have it, if I had, if I had wanted to be with him and then that had broken, I can't imagine what I would do if it was from outside sources, not letting us be together and not letting us continue that relationship. I mean, gosh, I think of, um, you know, Jim Crow laws in the days of segregation and racially mm. that being a thing and how traumatic that was for people you know who fell in love with people of other races not being able to be together that's something that's in our yeah. own history and I think Shannon is drawing parallels to that or you know I just, queer relationships yeah being able to honestly be you love I mean there's an obvious parallel you know in history even more recent history than the racial stuff in terms yeah. of laws. Um, there so. are still people who argue that um, queer people should not be able to get married, which is just... Uh, yeah. But, you know, yeah. We're, we're not here to give opinions on anything. I mean, no. we've established that we're both part of the queer right. LGBTQ plus community. But... Yeah. No, but yeah, it, there are parallels. And to then have him accidentally kill her through rage and not being able to control his fire is uh, i don't even necessarily blame him it gives hardcore romeo and juliet vibes i don't even blame him honestly i i think i would have to turn to any other solution than the alternative which is hide who i am at that point and hide my powers and shove them down again i feel like i would also want change and i would be drastic i would do drastic things to get that change yeah I mean, I'm a sucker for forbidden love stories, okay? One of my favorite movies of all time is Moulin Rouge. I love Romeo and mm. Juliet. I'm that Shakespeare fan that actually loves Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> you know, because you love, love So Keith. That's all people have to know. Yeah, we love So Keith. We love Zutara. You know, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of forbidden, tragic love. And I think the, the well, for lack of a more diverse term, tragic, (laughs) I'm going to use the same word here, qualities of it are what make it so appealing and so heartbreaking. It makes you feel so much. I can't imagine being within that. Like, that's my experience third hand as a viewer of this media. I can't imagine being Mm. within that. And the fact that these characters are experiencing that firsthand in this story and then going on to make these parallels to real-life laws and situations and knowing that people in the past and even to an extent today have experienced that in real life is horrifying. Yeah. You know who it does remind me of? And this isn't just because I was on, I was, I was thinking of Luke Costello from Percy Jackson a lot earlier, but this isn't why I'm drawing that comparison. It's, it reminds me of what happened to Luke after Talia died. Mm. It, 
And I know that Brant was in the Never Scene before Jolie died, and that was a big cause, but I still see parallels because when Luke lost Talia, which is another tragic story of love and friendship, uh, he didn't have anyone to turn to, the gods weren't on his side, his father wasn't on his side, really, and he felt lost, and he went and made awful decisions that ruined his life, and that's it's similar. It, I feel parallels there. And I love Luke Castellan as a character. And I can appreciate Brandt as a character, even though, oh, I hated him when he, when it was revealed that he was burning Sophie and he was the torturer. But you still, there's empathy there. Even for the villains. And that is what makes them so compelling. Even, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Brandt is the number one example, to be honest. And, we, and we've extensively gone into why at this point. What yeah, makes a villain? Trauma. It takes trauma. It takes being wronged by society to make a villain. To make a good villain, yes. Yes. That is a good clarification. Some villains, some villains are good, not, some villains. <laughs> yeah. To make a good complex villain with interesting motivations that make sense. Yes. And not yes. just a you know, classic good versus evil, evil for the sake of being evil situation, which does right. have its place in some stories. I can enjoy that yeah. dynamic, but in this kind of s- series, it's operating on a much more complex level than that. Yes. I and would notice, say that. Notice who we haven't mentioned at all yet, who is everyone's number one trauma boy. And I think people are probably shocked that we haven't brought him up yet because we're both huge fans, is Keith. But he's not the well, only honestly, one with trauma in this series. And I think that's so important to remember because people are obsessed with analysis of Keith and talking about his trauma. But there's so much more to the series than just Keith's character and his trauma. All of these characters have trauma. Like I said, Morella yeah. and Maruka have family trauma. The twins have trauma with their family. Keith isn't the only they one have with so daddy much trauma. Issues, even. No, the so twins have trauma. Awful. abandonment trauma. It's Mr. Forkel. The Forkels. Can we, we haven't even gone into Mr. Forkel and Oh my the twins. gosh, being forced to live the one amount, life. Oh my gosh. The amount of trauma and the coping skills that they had to use and how they had to live their life because of it and how they had to integrate into basically one person. They didn't have their own identities. <laughs> No, it's awful. They weren't able to live their own individual lives, and that is critical oh. to growing up and coming into your own. They weren't allowed to do that. It's amazing that they didn't end up more messed up. It's. Oh, I'm so happy the twins were able. Like, I'm so happy that Tam specifically, because I do. I love Lynn, but I do feel like she is mellower. She is more of a follower, whereas I feel like Tam was like. I don't want to swear, but I feel like Tam was like, F you guys, this isn't, (laughs) this is not what we're doing. And they both like said, screw off basically and did their own thing. And I'm so happy for them that they were able to do that because it really must have been a little bit of closure. Yeah. Lynn is with him on everything and she agrees with him and she wants to fight, but she's just not as naturally confrontational or aggressive. Which is fine. Right. It's just a difference in personality, and she fights back in her own way. 
And I love Lynn as a character, but yeah, that's not her She's personality. She's very to much be like. the half of the twins that's able to reach out and make the bridges that are essential to progress and actually healing the relationship if there's any chance of it. Yeah. She serves that purpose. Whereas Tam serves the, you know, no excuses, what you did to us was yeah. wrong, accountability purpose. It's funny that you said Lynn builds bridges, because doesn't she literally tear bridges down with her powers at some point? Doesn't she literally, like, flood a city? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, even going back... Yeah. Yeah. But uh, even going back to Sophie, and we can throw Keith in there too, but I don't even feel like... Sophie said so much happened, I feel like we brushed by her a little bit, and like, because there's just so much that has happened specifically... We could do a whole episode on just her trauma, to be perfectly honest. And I don't know how long this is going to end up, how in-depth we're going to go. I feel like we're just going to brush the surface of everyone. I feel like that's the extent of what we can do. But Each even her initial have to be a trauma podcast of having episode. to leave her family cannot go understated. And I will say yeah. that is something that... Um, that is one area that both Fitz and Keith really stand up for her. And oh, are yeah. there for her. Like, I will give Fitz credit for that one. Listen, yeah, they're like, you cannot... Listen, I'm a Sokeep shipper. I want them to end up together. I don't like Fitz V, but I will, I'm happy to give Fitz the credit where credit is due. He is not a yes. bad character. He is not a bad person. Um, no. I just don't think he works romantically with Sophie, and it's that simple. But... He and he is, is still, a good friend. They are still close. Like, I feel like there's so key shippers that want to act like there's no precedent of them being close in any level. And that's just wrong. Yeah. They are, they are, I think it's because when compared to Keith, it feels shallow. Like they, yeah, but he is still her friend. I think we've both been pretty clear in the past to say that they are still friends. We don't want to say that we're not. It's not like, oh, whatever, it's Fitz. No, he is still a big part of her life, and he is there for her when she needs him. I mean, he he's the one that finds her in Dex at the end of the first book. Right. It's because of their mental link that he's... And that's trauma on its own for Fitz. He thought she was dead, and then he's hearing her voice and being like, no, you're dead, I'm not going to do oh this again. Oh my gosh, it's like, such trauma for, uh, for Fitz. And then he goes to his father's funeral the book after, and he turns out alive too. That is two times that he has had to go through the grieving process. And then three times, Alvar! Down. Oh yeah, Alvar! Alvar! Yeah, three times! He goes through that, it again! Yeah! And There's, people wonder why he is the way he is. Give the boy some credit. He is still young. And he has been going through right. so much. Even if it's not as much compared yeah. to the other characters. And even if he still comes from a place of privilege. Listen, you can come from a place of privilege and still have stuff happen to you. I think that needs yeah, to be no. perfectly clear. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter how much money you have it doesn't matter it stuff can still happen sometimes that kind of yeah. stuff happens to you because you're in a place of privilege because yes. you have a target on your back i mean we've seen Absolutely. that throughout history <laughs> coming from two americans two of our presidents like arguably the most privileged person and most powerful person yeah. in the country were assassinated you know so mm-hmm. it really just like in I mean, gosh knows how many world leaders in history throughout the world have been assassinated. They So yeah. many have been taken out. Um, whether you think it's rightfully so or not, there's obviously a huge mix there. But right. he no. has gone through 
I mean, mm-hmm. I even get wigged out like, okay, this is going to sound so stupid, but later, late last year, I lost my cat and my cat is my best friend in the whole world or she was. It was like your support friend. animal. Yeah, she was my support animal and it was really sudden. We found out she, her body was filled with cancer. It was really, really difficult for me and I have had dreams, dreams where she was still here. And I got to pet her and be with her and spend time with her. And I have woken up shaking because mm-hmm. I went through the grieving process of losing this friend of mine, my cat, in real life, even in dreams, having that taken away from me, having the rug pulled out, wakes me up mm-hmm. and it wigs me out. This happens with multiple yeah. pets of mine, but especially my cat who I just lost. Um Because it's not the first time I've lost a pet in my life. I've lost another cat, my brother. I've lost a dog. You know, my family Mm -hmm. has a lot of pets. And with that, sadly, comes a lot of deaths of family members because they are a member of your family. And I can't even imagine with a person Mm -hmm. having that happen in my dreams. And doubly, I can't imagine with a person having that happen in real life. The green process is so... So difficult, and it it has to be linear. It has to be linear to an extent, or else you're never going to make any progress. And having that taken away from you and having to start at the beginning is so draining, so traumatic. And I can't even imagine what Fitz is feeling by the end of book two, even before everything that happens with his brother. Yeah, no. Fitz, I can get on Fitz's case because of his anger issues it irritates me but also I understand completely where they come from I understand where it's coming from I don't condemn him for it I think he needs to get help for the anger issues but I also absolutely understand why he has them and where it stems from (laughs) uh these kids need therapy (laughs) they do Uh, every single one of them needs therapy Before we even get into Keith, because Keith is probably going to take 15 minutes up on his own. Guys, we honestly could do an episode for each character trauma, and it would take a whole episode. It would take 45 minutes for each character. But, like, Sophie, this is just surface level, because we don't, we, it would be a three-hour podcast if we went into the right, if we went into whole that. ins and outs. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, Sophie, before we even get into Keith, I do just, I just need to acknowledge Sophie one more time. I can't help it. That girl... The amount of trauma is awful. I just... How many times in the books is she sent to the freaking hospital ward? And that's just school trauma. That's not even stuff... That's not even the house calls that Elwyn has to make because she literally is tortured in every book. Yeah. I don't think there's been a book where she has been tortured. And then you add on the mental toll of all the friends watching on her. I don't blame her for being at the point in Unlocked where she's ready to... Burn the place down to the ground. Yeah, you do what you want at this point. I think I was saying that from like book three and onward. I was just like, Sophie, you do whatever you want. Um, you do whatever you want. If you get in trouble, I want to hear it because they have put you through literal hell. And the mental trauma of knowing there's an entire civilization resting on her, basically, and that they're about to go to war because of her and all the pressure put on her from both the council and um, Forkel and the group. Uh, no, no, thank you. 
I need to get the amount of protection moments I've had for that child while reading those books where I just want to reach to the book and grab her and take her away is insane. This is where the only person who seems to acknowledge and support her through all of her traumas is Keith. Yeah. He sees the whole scope. He sees how broken she is and that she needs help. Yeah. He's he's advocating for her to go to therapy like we he, are. He I mean, constantly other constantly people see he's parts like, Can you guys calm down? See parts. He has been the only one to see all of her as she is, everything she has gone through and addressed all of it. And I think that is incredibly important and incredibly powerful because it is mm. so crucial to have someone who is there for all of that. I think he's constantly it, it like, can you be... give her a break? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he sees the dehumanization of her and addresses that he sees some of the stuff that Fitz also sees, but he sees so much more. The dehumanization. We haven't even talked about that. She's like a test tube baby. They treat her like that half the time. They get better about it, but they always dehumanize this her child. Her body and fails her and wants to kill her, which is honestly its own kind of trauma. As someone with a lot of medical yeah. issues whose body has not done what it's supposed to. I mean, mine's been severely messed up. I had major spinal surgery at 14 for severe scoliosis. Um... My body yep. not doing what it's supposed to. I have Turner syndrome. I am infertile, an infertile woman. So, like, my body is messed up in all sorts of ways. And mm. even that is traumatic. And mine's never tried to kill me. Her own body has tried to kill her. <laughs> and that is a weird it's... complex to have going on in your head. Because your body is supposed to be what grounds you. What supports you. No wonder you. she never sleeps. And when that fails I you, would never sleep. What? Yeah. <laughs> the stress the stress alone that she's under is traumatic i can't we could be here for hours talking about sophie oh my gosh i would could, love to just we like... haven't even you mentioned her parents you mentioned grady and edeline and how they and that made me think of their trauma and being having to grieve when people don't know what grief is it's everyone <laughs> Everyone. But throughout the series, I think more and more of the elves are learning what grief is and experiencing kinds of trauma like the world has never seen. And that yeah. brings its own level of guilt to Sophie, who feels like she's responsible for all of this when she had no control over this. She didn't ask for this. Yeah, no, it's... It's just everything. Everything that happens in these books, like, directly hits Sophie in the gut, one way or another. I do not know how this child... Because she is it's a child, standing. let's be clear. Let's be clear. She is a child. I don't care if you're talking about book seven, book eight. I do not care. She is still She's a not minor. 18. She's Yeah. She is. And frankly, even, even if she 18, was 18... Even 18 is pushing it in terms of being an adult, yeah. like... Frontal lobe developmentally wise, I, which we have talked about. I still about don't feel like an adult. No, neither do I. And I'm 21, almost 22. We're 21 I'm years so old. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> like. <Huh? laughs> <laughs> we're both. I wish you guys could have just, just seen like, our faces. I know. We're just like gesturing. Like, ah, ah. <laughs> Literally, both our hands were up in like the the side van pose. Like, <laughs> I can't. But no, because it's mind boggling. And then 
to touch on Keith, because I feel like we should now, because it's been we 36 should minutes, address and I already know, know Keith is going to go for a while. <laughs> Ken, I was so happy when he just got out of his father's house. It was the best point of angst oh in book four and five, when he was just out of that house, and I was like... Leaving an abusive household was one of the best things he could have done. And it's oh not... My like, a lot gosh. of people still don't understand that just because it's not physical abuse doesn't mean it's abuse. First of all, first of all, can we talk about the fact that he which was a Sophie science addresses, experiment? Which Sophie addresses. He, was a, he yes, says it didn't even leave a scar. And she says, I think we both know it did. Yeah, she understands that better than anyone. Let's start from the beginning with Keith. Let's start A very good place Keith, to start. <laughs> him being a literal science experiment, much like Sophie. There's another comparison, but much like Sophie, he's a that science experiment. Yeah. And then... He is raised as a science experiment by his own mother. It's not even Sophie where it was outliers, where it was other people doing this. It was his own mother. Like Alvar, and this is where his parallels and uh, comments about Alvar are very interesting. Yeah, the connection between him and Alvar is very interesting. He too has no control over this dark destiny that has been written for him. I love the Keith-Alvar dynamic. I find it so interesting. It's so interesting. And Alvar was manipulated by Lady Gisela. Is it Gisela or Gisela? Uh, I can't remember the spelling. I think it's Gisela. Gisela? Lady Gisela. Gisela. I don't know. We're Guys, we're going to mess it up. It's fine. It's a book. But yeah, Lady Gisela... <laughs> She also was the one primarily manipulating Alvar, wasn't she? So there's just so many parallels. Mm-hmm. And Keith, to be raised in that environment, and not just raised, he was manipulated to think it wasn't his mother who was the one doing this to him. He thought it was his father his whole life. He thought his father was the one that didn't love him. Comes to find out, no, that's your mother. Your father's just a side note. He doesn't care about you. Your mother just cares about you in all the wrong manipulative ways. And that is earth-shaking. That's awful. He thought he at least had one good parent. Yeah. And then his father turned out to be the good parent. And it turns out that the good parent was even worse than the bad parent and that they're both garbage. Ugh. I just can't stand either of them, but I almost can't stand his father more. I, mean, I don't well, know why. The center, honestly, the heart of his trauma always comes down to that scene in Never Seen for me, where he writes all the notes and one of them says, did they even love me? Or did they yeah. ever love me? Oh my gosh, this boy and is to talk so about, uh, messed up and so lonely. I think we need to talk about the fact that Keith is lonely. And that's part of why what happens with Sophie is hard for him. Yeah. This is why he's always doing reckless things. He wants other people's approval and love. <laughs> that is why he does stupid things. Because he just wants... Yeah. There is a void there that his parents have left. That falls onto his friends. And even his personality is warped around this. Because he, when he was younger and in the first couple books... You pick up on the fact that why he is reckless in school, why he always is in detention, is because he's trying to spite his father. Because he has so much hatred for this man who only wants him to be perfect. And he does everything just to spite that. And it really developed his own, his own character. Like, as a person, it developed 
into who he is and the coping mechanisms he used. And he just, uh, and that's not even to go into the torture he suffers at the end of the last book with his mother, the absolute torture that he has to go through. Yeah. Honestly, for those of you who, and this is probably just because I have seen, been watching The Owl House, <laughs> but, which Frankie has not seen, which she needs to because it's so I, good. I want but to. Honestly, in some ways, uh, Keith's dad reminds me of Amity's mom. And if, for those of you who have, I mean, and the song Little Miss Perfect like comes into my mind for Keith, although I still think this is gospel by Panic at the Disco is the ultimate Keith song. <laughs> Isn't Panic um, always the answer? Is it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, so so many of the lines just fit Keith to a T. I can't. Um, the whole, if you love me, let me go, please. Just, yes. Yes. <laughs> but Amity's mom is incredibly manipulative and, um, and abusive and pressures her in yeah. school and everything. And it very much feels like Keith's dad. Now, luckily, Amity mm. has one decent parent. Her dad seems to be cooler. He's just kind of complacent in what his wife does. He doesn't do yeah. anything to stop it. Whereas, mm -hmm. obviously, Keith's alternative is a villain of a mother. <laughs> Keith's so, alternative is Alden, and even Alden puts him down sometimes, and it makes me yeah. so mad. <laughs> yeah. But, but unfortunately, Keith right now doesn't have Sophie the way that Amity has Luz to support her. And I think this exploration, you know, this is a middle grade age show, so I think we can make parallels here. I think this Mm -hmm. exploration of different kinds of abusive family situations both within this series and compared to other series of the same like with the same age demographic that are coming out simultaneously is so interesting and so important for kids to see because it's necessary to show that not all abuse is physical yes and that you can definitely. have even just bad family situations, strained family situations that aren't necessarily abusive, which is Luz's situation in the Owl House. She has a very strained relationship with her mother, which is why she ended up staying in another realm <laughs> away from mm, her. Okay. Even though now she wants to get back. But, um, you know, her mom was wanting to get her to conform a bit more for her own sake in society and be a bit more under control. Mm -hmm. Whereas Luz, you know, um, let's just say she is all about training to be a witch and doing all these crazy adventures. Her heart is somewhere else. So there's a yeah, strain there. And but also her mother, show? Camila Noceda, isn't abusive. She's actually quite supportive when she finds out everything that's been going on. It's just a mm. difference of what a parent wants for their child versus what a child wants. So it's important yeah. to show all these different kinds of family situations, both abusive or just strained, different kinds of abuse within that category. And we get a whole bunch of that within Keeper of the Lost Cities. And I think that's wonderful. Even Morella's situation, it isn't abusive at all, but because of her mother's illness, that creates its own trauma where she's always on edge and has to become almost a mother figure herself to her mother. It just covers all sorts of in-house trauma. 
like household mm-hmm. trauma that can't be helped sometimes, like in the case of her mother's illness. But no, the way that Sophie and Keith's traumas intertwine and come together to help each other through with different coping mechanisms. It's sheer poetry. one of the most beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the series that I don't even know if Shannon Messenger knew when she was writing it just what she was doing because it just comes together. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure she yeah. knew to an extent, but I don't think she knew to the extent that they were helping each other as she was writing it and the way that their traumas just go together well. I don't think Whereas she knew Keith's the extent more, of it from the beginning. Yeah, because Keith's trauma is very emotional, mentally manipulated, and his power is empathy. Sophie's has usually been more physical if you take away the sheer pressure on her shoulders, and she has a bunch of physical abilities. And so if it it's their characters and then also because mental. they're she has mental yeah. abilities compared to emotional and her trauma has been primarily physical and mental compared to emotional. Yeah, it's just because actually in terms of emotional so trauma, well. she's actually been quite su- supported. Yeah, she has. It's Besides more mental than losing emotional, her family she's been through. Yeah, so they just, because of that, their characters are almost made, not as foils, like as the opposite of foils, but I don't, can't think of the word, but, like, they're two sides of the same coin in a romantic sense. Like, it's it's very much Arthur and Merlin, uh, like, soulmates, like, they were made for each other. She and he just go together, and because of their differences, yeah. they are actually in a romantic sense. the best pairing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, obviously there are tons of people who do ship Mercer romantically. I don't happen to be one of them. Mercer doesn't, friendship is Mercer doesn't bug me. But, no, it doesn't bug me like either. The, I think it's great that yeah. people find comfort in shipping it romantically. I just don't see it mm-hmm. that way. Um, and they do tease yeah. it in the show to give those people credit. There, There is teasing of it. So There's definite teasing. I yeah. absolutely understand where people are coming from yes. when they ship Merthyr. I honestly, that's one of the pairings. Either way, I don't mind. I just love them as a pairing no matter what. I, but, I honestly, yeah, no, I ship it definite hints. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I just love them as them. And that's what I am with Sophie and yeah. Keith. Well, no. Uh, Sophie and Keith are romantic that to me, is 100%. A great, but, that is a great parallel though to make in terms of just absolute soulmates who are foils in the sense of yeah they bring out the best in each other and support each other through their traumas i think of hiccup and astrid too are fantastic foils yeah you see them yes providing support for each other in their adult relationship all the time and being completely you know who we haven't touched another. on much who biana and her physical torture Oh, with the yes. scars, and her scars, and yeah. and how in the society and everyone is supposed to look beautiful, and she ha- now has visceral scars all over her body. Ooh. Or Wiley, we haven't touched on Wiley's trauma. Wiley lost. Who's been through? A Wiley has lost two parental figures. Yeah, three. Wiley has lost three parental figures now at this point. But the hope of one of them and coming back constantly looming over him. And Once he's again, been physically that tortured. interruption of the grieving process is yes awful. It needs awful. to be linear. You need to allow yourself to move on. But when you have that hope, which is why it's almost like, oh my gosh, when that um 
Malaysia plane went missing and people were like, you almost want Ugh. them to find them dead so the loved ones can, you know, move on and have that it's confirmation like, rather than hang on to hope. It's that kind it's of like thing. It's like a kidnapped, it's like a kidnapped child. I don't want to go too dark into this topic, but a lot of parents from children who have been abducted almost hope to find a body because it's just mm-hmm. better. You know, I'm not going to get into mm-hmm. it, but you can put the pieces together. Yeah, you they're almost hoping for that. It's an yeah. awful situation. Yeah, compared to some of the alternatives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once again, this is why we have trigger warnings for this episode. <laughs> because it is <sighs> yeah. a heavy topic. <laughs> uh, it's, they even deal with that in Keepers. They deal with abduction when this is a world that isn't supposed to have abduction in it. And child abduction multiple times and Grady and Eline have to deal with this multiple times yeah. I just every character has to deal with so much trauma every character yeah. you can't forget the adults like, too Grady and Eline almost losing another kid after they already lost their daughter Dex's parents almost losing a child I mean Dex who was permanently scarred literally from this both like all three kinds of trauma he experienced within this scenario i mean dex was never the dex same is, dex's siblings one of them is about to go through a bunch of trauma oh yes because i didn't even think of that but you brought up dex again and it cleared my mind and one of his oh, siblings yes. is gonna have to grow up without an ability they're gonna grow up talentless yes yep. and Knowing their that siblings all have other them. triplets have abilities that is going to be brutal that's awful. And they're going that is to be unmatchable. Awful. The whole the whole matching system in this world leads to a whole bunch of trauma. I mean, think about it's, think about his parents' trauma being unmatchable as it was, and the stress and stuff that that causes yeah, uh-uh. for the family. It is the way I would be on Fintan's side. It is the way. Uh uh-uh. uh If you tried to tell me who I could or couldn't marry. Or if you tried to tell me I was worthless because I married outside of a system of laws. Or if you tried to tell me I couldn't use an innate power that I have, like fire. Nah, I am joining Fintan. I am like, nope, we're toppling the society. It would. And that's uh-uh. what makes I, the villain oh. so compelling. Because you can see yes. their side. There are wrongs in this society. Are they going about fixing it the wrong way? Yes. No. But for people yes, who have yes. been personally wronged, you can 100% understand why they would turn in that direction. Even Alvar... Fenton was locked up. Even Alvar was tempted because he was seen as less attractive and less valuable than his siblings. Alvar... It's just the emotional manipulation he goes through. The trauma of forgetting everything and building up a relationship again just to suddenly remember all that's happened to you and remember why you were doing this and having to betray them again. <sighs> There's every character. Every I, character. I would have been tempted to so just much. pretend that I still forgot and hope I didn't slip and just yeah. start over. <laughs> Yeah, but that's you know, where the manipulation liar, comes in. But, but that—that is where the manipulation comes in. Not to be a liar, but the fear. I would have been tempted. I would have been tempted. Oh to yeah, get that fresh start. Yeah, a hundred percent. Uh, and oh, then man. to have Alden and his wife have to deal with that betrayal again. I just, I just, it's I'm everyone. thinking of honestly, honestly, 
reading this series alongside watching Attack on Titan. It's just you a don't whole even bunch know. of trauma kids. Oh my god. Katie, <laughs> and, there and is I've a only comparison. Seen season one. I've only seen season one of Attack on Titan, so like I don't even know the half of it. <laughs> Listen. I was trying not to say this, but now you've drawn it out of me. While we were talking and discussing about one of the characters, I'll just say Alvar. While we were talking about Alvar, there's a character in Attack on Titan who just, oh, the Alvar vibes in the later seasons. And I can't say his name because you will be spoiled and it's driving me crazy. But people, if you watch AOT and you read Keeper of the Lost Cities and you think about a child who's been manipulated and has done awful things for a cause. You know who I'm talking about, and they're a tragic character. <laughs> and it's just been reminding me this whole time, and it. I haven't said anything. Oh. Oh. Guys, 2023, I just, AOT I podcast coming characters. to you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I do want uh. to have a strong in AOT uniforms. I do want that. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's a trauma. Oh my goodness, it is so, um, just, I guess you can say, I mean, the way that family-oriented stuff, like I said, coming back to my comparison to the Owl House, the point I was making with that has been dealing with this, and obviously AOT is not (laughs) family-oriented, to be perfectly clear. No, <laughs> any children, not. any children watching this who have read this series, middle grade readers, middle grade age, and are like, "Oh, does that mean that Attack on Titan, this thing I've heard so much about, is family friendly and I can watch it?" No, <laughs> no, no. Um, Wait until you're like in high school. <laughs> Wait until you're least. fourteen, fifteen. Frank- at least, yeah. Frankly, I don't even feel old enough to be watching this show, and I'm twenty-one. Uh- <laughs> I started when I was 16, and I'd been exposed at that point to brutality, but you're not ready for Attack on Titan. <laughs> like, no. You're not ready. Everyone who I've heard, it was so funny, I was watching this documentary about anime, everyone who people were interviewing people at a um, convention, an anime convention, it was, or I think it was actually a comic, like general comic con, but people came dressed up as anime mm-hmm. characters. It was this whole exploration of, like, how anime came into Western society and, like, how Eastern culture and Mm -hmm. storytelling influences the West and then vice versa and how Hollywood influences things over there. It was very interesting. Mm -hmm. I forget who it was by. I just, it came across in my YouTube recommends. But they went to an anime Mm -hmm. convention and every single person who answered that their first anime was Attack on Titan followed it with, followed it with, excuse me, and that was a mistake. (laughs) see I love that that was my first real like I had watched Yuri on Ice and some other things before Attack on Titan but that was my first like into shonen anime like a long running shonen anime what? that was my first time watching what a way and, um, what a way to I break loved the it. anime ice <laughs> it did if you go into Attack on Titan and you can deal with Attack on Titan <laughs> not much else is gonna bother you in terms of no. anime like, no it was great but um, I think on that note, I don't think I have anything else much to say, and it's been about an hour now, so... Yeah, I think we've touched on everyone just enough, so that will be all for today. Let us know if you want individual episodes detailing each character's trauma in depth, because we are happy or to Or just story them. arcs. 
Yeah, honestly. Each character's like, story I would love arcs. To, like, I would love to reread the series again and take notes and do an episode on just Sophie and do an episode on just Keith and even, like, the backer kids. Just Fitz and Bianca and Dex. Like, mm-hmm. even little smaller episodes, maybe, surrounding, like, Wiley, Tam, and Lynn, who we haven't gotten as much of, yeah, but who I are still, like, prevalent. Episode. Um, I think Wiley and Maruka could get an episode put together. Like put Morella in there, like, yeah. Uh, covering the secondary characters, you know, the B team, so to speak, or even the one C team. covering <laughs> just the villains. One covering just the villains and antagonists. The villains. So let us know what yeah. you want. We are on Instagram at KOTLC Podcast. That is Keeper of the Lost Cities Podcast. It's abbreviated KOTLC Podcast. And happy so keep shipping. Happy so keep shipping, and I'm and if we scared you off with the trauma talk, I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think it was important ground to cover. I think it was. Yeah. All right. Bye, bye guys.